0: Welcome to Civic Syrup. We're here at the Colorado Education Association with President Carrie Dahlman. Hello, Carrie. Hi, how are you? I am great. I am so excited to be here on this snowy day, October 7th, 2017. Brandy's here. Hi, guys. Yes. And um, we are really excited. This is episode one of season two of the Civic Syrup podcast. So we are... Definitely going to talk about um, Election Day, which is less than a month away. November 7th is Election Day. Four
1: weeks away from tomorrow, actually. Four
0: weeks from tomorrow. There you go, for anyone who's listening right away to this podcast. And um, school board elections are happening all over the state for um, on that Election Day. So we're going to talk about that. But first, Carrie, I'd love to hear about you why you're passionate about education, and what brought you to CEA. And if you can give us a little introduction to CEA as
1: well, that would be fantastic. Sure. Well, my name's Carrie Dahlman, and I am uh, proud to lead an organization representing 36,000 members here at the CEA. Uh, I'm a high school social studies teacher. I started teaching in the school district I attended, so that's the Jefferson County uh, Public School District. Oh, I'm no kidding. Taught at Pomona High School. Go big black. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of red and black in my wardrobe. Um, So, you know, I come from a family of educators, and uh, I was really inspired by uh, my grandmother uh, to become a teacher. She uh, started teaching in a one room schoolhouse. At uh, 19 years old in rural Iowa, wow. and she taught first grade, and you know, spending summers with my grandmother, I'd see sort of this constant flow of young boys coming in and sitting at Grandma's kitchen table because you know they were struggling in school, and she just felt like you know if every kid has a strong foundation in reading that they would be successful later in life. And so she would volunteer her summers working with these former students of hers to make sure that they were able to catch up. And so that really stuck with me um, as I went through school and, uh, you know, real fortunate to um, get hired in the same district that I attended Um so really happy about that. So as I said, I teach high school social studies. And right now I'm released from the classroom while I serve in this role as president of the Colorado Education Association.
0: Oh, I see. So what? what is your term? Do you have a term?
1: Yes. So uh, we are a um, governance uh, member-led organization. And so the members of our association um, are responsible for electing the leadership of the association. And so there are two three-year terms. And I'm in the last year of my second term, so I'll be returning to the classroom somewhere in Jefferson County next year. How do you feel about that? I'm super excited. There's a big smile I on miss, your face. For I miss who's the listening. kids. Yeah. I really miss the kids. Yeah. I I really enjoy teaching, and you know, part of that is my own experience in high school. You know, as a I moved here from Minnesota in high school, uh-huh. and I felt isolated. Um, and what was really apparent to me is a high school student myself was that it was the relationships with the, with the teachers in the building that helped get me through high school. Mm-hmm. And without those sort of relationships and, and those teachers expressing an interest in me as a person, I'm not sure I would have made it um, through high school or even into teaching for that matter.
0: Yeah, so tell me how, how does CEA allow you to, you know, help cultivate those relationships between, uh, I don't know if it's your broader membership or teachers specifically, um, you know, in the classroom?
1: Sure. So uh, being released from the classroom allows me to engage a variety of different audiences. One certainly is our members across the state. I get to travel across the state and work with our local association leaders as well as our members in a variety of... Of issues and activities, and some of those we'll talk about in a little bit when we get to school board and mills and bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have great programs going on across the street or across the state. Pikes Peak, um, which is the you know, sort of surrounding communities around Colorado Springs. They just launched the Pikes Peak Center for Professional Learning, which is so amazing. These are teachers who came together and said, you know what, we can do a great job meeting the needs of our fellow colleagues. Colleagues, in giving them the professional development they really need. Uh-huh. Um, and so they just launched that. Um, so super excited to be there. Um, we have great things going on in Cortez, Colorado and Roaring Fork and, you know, all across the state. So it's really great for me to get to go and see how things are done. In other places, because you know, as a as a teacher, my experience up until taking this position was really in Jefferson County Public Schools. Mm-hmm. And our rural districts are very different from our metro area um, urban districts, and so. Being able to travel has really helped me be a better advocate for um, educators and students all across Colorado.
0: Yeah, statewide, which which is Civic Syrup's focus as well. You know, we want to kind of bring together all the different areas of the state and you know common ground things like that. So. Um, can you tell me, what is your membership look like? Is it all teachers?
1: No, so we represent um, students in teacher preparation programs at our colleges and universities. We represent classroom teachers, of course. We represent our education support professionals, which are our paraeducators in the classroom or school secretaries or bus drivers or um, facility managers, custodian um, folks. And so we really sort of... Um, um, have a family of education professionals that we represent. And then we also represent some higher education folks as well.
0: Oh, really? Okay, great. Um, so you mentioned uh, mill levies and bonds. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that there maybe are some things statewide that vary greatly on those issues.
1: Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So you um, probably no surprise to your listeners that our state is really limited in the their ability to raise revenue to support our public schools, um, chiefly through TABER which is the limitation there. But sorry we have a uh, <laughs> a fire truck going yeah, yeah. Yes. by right now. That's That's all right. Right. That happens all the time. <laughs> um, but so our districts in order to make up for the lack of funding coming from the state Um, have the ability to pass their own mill levies and bonds and bonds are what builds buildings or builds new schools or upgrades, upgrades and maintains, um, school facilities. Um, and mills are really what pays the bills. Mills are how you can, um, hire more teachers to teach in those new buildings that were just built. Mm -hmm. Um, it helps districts, um, pay a competitive salary. Um, mills help districts, you know, increase access for students to technology and to textbooks. Um, and may provide additional resources like, you know, nurses in schools or social workers, etc., which our schools often lack enough of. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that um, this mill bond thing has created across Colorado is this really inequitable system of funding. Um, So that, you know, if you're a student in uh, maybe Cherry Creek or Aspen or some other more affluent communities, your ability to pass a mill and raise enough money to uh, meet the needs of the students in that district is far better than those smaller communities who don't have the same sort of residential tax base. Um, And so... We have, you know, small districts in the state who uh, have rarely, if ever, passed a mill levy in order to increase funding for their local school district. And what that has created is sort of this big differentiation in, like, starting salaries for teachers. And um, one thing that your listeners should know, if they don't already, is that we have a huge... Uh, teacher shortage. I was just going to bring that in, up. In Colorado, Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> I think a
0: lot of our listeners do know, but they need to hear about it again. Yeah. We all need to hear about it again. So yeah. we have a
1: huge teacher shortage in Colorado, and so you have some districts on the Eastern Plains that might start a brand new teacher out of college, first teaching job at $28,000. Mm-hmm. But that same person can get hired on in Westminster or Boulder at $40,000, Mm-hmm. So when you think about where those graduates are going to start applying for jobs, they got student loans that they have to pay. And we know that, you know, college tuition has increased quite a bit, um, that there's fewer grants for those individuals. So a lot of those folks then tend to, you know, um, migrate towards the metro area, in order to get their teaching jobs, and that leaves a real shortage, particularly in the fields of math and science, uh, maybe special education, in our more rural communities. Mm-hmm.
0: And and that's uh, that can't be made up for by cost of living. You know, like the rural areas, it's not that much cheaper to live there.
1: No, because, you know, you might be able to get a house for less, uh-huh. um, but your what you pay at the gas um, uh-huh. station yeah. is more. What you pay for that gallon of milk is more because of the distances those other commodities are traveling to get to that rural community. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So... What what kind of um, strategies does CEA have? What are, what are you looking at as a solution for this disparity?
1: Well, overall, we'd um, like to see a statewide ballot issue um, passed by voters that either gives our state legislature back the power to raise revenue to pay for essential services and needs, within the state because it's not just education that's underfunded oh, sure. I mean there right. transportation We, you know anybody who drives in the state and drives over some of our roads and potholes recognizes the needs there mm-hmm. but because of Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, our legislature over at the Capitol across the street from my office... Yes, we can see it out the window There, They don't have the power to raise revenue to pay for needs Uh in this state. And so, you know, one thing we'd like to see is let's give back our elected representatives the power to take care of the needs in Colorado on behalf of the citizens and the electorate. Um, In addition to that... You know, it would be really nice if the voters in Colorado would do um, what they didn't do with Amendment 66, which is pass a tax increase and dedicate those dollars to our public schools. Okay. Remind us about Amendment 66. So Amendment 66 um, was uh, uh, a ballot issue back in 2012. 2013, thank you for the yeah. reminder, 2013, <laughs> um, which would have raised taxes across the state in order to um, provide more money to our public schools.
0: Oh, okay. And I, it failed. It failed miserably. It failed yes. miserably. It
1: got about 30% support at the ballot box. Okay. All right, so we have some work to do
0: there. Are you working with other organizations? You know, you said it's not just education. Is there are there other organizations? Yeah. So there's
1: with? there's one organization um, that's new in Colorado, and it's a group of um, uh, a whole smattering of organizations. It's called the Colorado Education Network. Okay. And they've been working for some time around, you know. What can we do to educate Coloradans about the value of our public schools and the needs of those schools? Whether they have kids in school or not, it's a responsibility of all of us to support a quality public school for every kid. Bingo. I I
0: love that point. I feel like so much of what I hesitate to even say politics is about right now is, is remembering that every voter impacts every other citizen in the state and really highlighting that importance. So I'm really glad you brought that up.
1: Well and absolutely and the and the one thing about education is education is a nonpartisan issue. Yeah. 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 It is a nonpartisan issue, and every kid deserves access to the kinds of opportunities that help someone um, grow and flourish as a human being. And, you know, that's education supposed to be one of the great equalizers, but when we have this sort of inadequate and inequitable funding um, for our schools in Colorado, not all kids have the same access to those opportunities. Yeah.
0: And I, I also think of education as being a cornerstone of democracy too. So you know, you you can't really have a, a functioning democracy without
2: good education. So,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: yeah. and Carrie, what are so what are some of the rural areas doing to entice teachers to? come into their community? Or are their hands tied and it's just, it is what it is?
1: Well, it's a real struggle. Um, You know, one of the things the legislature did last year to help rural communities was to allow teachers who had retired and are collecting their pension, their para, to go back and teach mm. in rural areas to help fill the need um, but that doesn't solve the problem um, long term and even in the short term there just aren't enough folks who you know after they've retired who want to go back and teach full time in another community yeah. um, but you know some of the things that they're doing they're trying to offer incentives and you know advertise the great things about their community you know Cortez, uh, Colorado and Montezuma County. They struggle to um, attract teachers, and what a beautiful area Cortez and Durango and the San Juan Mountains are. Yeah. And so they do a lot of advertising around just the beauty of where you'd be teaching.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But beauty's great but if you have bills to pay and a family to feed, beauty's only going to go so far. Yeah. And and that's really, you know, kind of what's happening in some rural areas. And in other rural areas, there isn't the housing stock available. Um they're, you know, they're not building new suburbs for Lamar, Colorado, um, or Eads, um, etc. And so there, you know, some school districts have begun talking about how can the community come together and provide some subsidized housing for educators. Um, you know, we've read stories recently in Roaring Fork that, you know, one high school is building a tiny home that they're going to auction <laughs> off to a teacher, right? Um, but, you know, one tiny home every two years isn't going to fix gonna the, the housing need in in the mountain area um, yeah. for teachers. You know, we spoke
0: with uh, Representative Wilson on one of our podcasts, and he, mm-hmm. he was speaking about, you know, some ideas regarding that, you know, making the housing a little bit easier um, in terms of education. So... Yeah, uh, with, and,
2: and pulling together uh, various businesses that are affected by that. It's not just right. the schools. It's you know, it's small businesses. Yeah, and the entire it's, community. Yeah. Well, there's folks in
1: Salida. I think it's the bank and the Chamber of Commerce and the school district. I think they're starting to have conversations around how can they partner together to build subsidized housing for teachers mm-hmm. um, to fill that void. And then, um, you know, in Telluride, which is an expensive place to live, the yeah. district actually owns houses. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers can buy those houses, but it's deed restricted so that, you know, they're, they're buying at less than market value. But when they stop teaching or they leave the district, um, they have to sell the house back and they're not going to, you know, recoup all of the growth in, in um, price. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know unique things like that that I think can help fill the void. The problem is we just don't have enough housing inventory in those communities to fill the need.
0: Right, right, and even in urban communities <laughs> yeah. in many yeah. cases. Well, sure, <laughs> De- Denver
1: Public Schools is looking at uh, converting an old elementary into apartment housing for teachers. Oh wow,
2: wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, when you're talking about funding, you know, I, I was listening to something, I think, on NPR a couple weeks ago, talking about how the legalization of marijuana has pumped all these funds into our education system, but yeah. that doesn't seem to be the case at all.
1: Yeah, that's a myth. Yes. <laughs> First and foremost, the, the funding raised through the passage of that ballot issue is for capital construction. And so, um, you know, a district still has to raise money on their end through the passage of a bond, and then they can get some matching dollars from okay. the state from that marijuana tax in order to build a new school. Oh, so they school, have to pass a right? bond first. Yeah, order, yeah. Okay. They, have to, they have to be able to put up some matching and then even dollars. And still,
0: as you mentioned before, they're not necessarily having the money to pay teachers to come in and fill
1: those new schools. Exactly. And that goes back to what I said, bonds and that marijuana tax, they build schools. It's the mill levies and the money from the state that pays the bills for those schools. So it pays for the staffing, pays for the tools and materials and technology, et cetera, that it uh, requires to educate kids. Wow.
0: Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because there is so much confusion about marijuana and, you know, uh, yeah how how it is how those dollars yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly
2: well, and I think it's um y- you know I feel like there's a huge disconnect between there's an educational disconnect, you know, just citizens don't know what it takes to run a school, how those funds are being raised and what they're you know what they have to do at the uh, on the ballot to make those things happen,
1: yeah, you know, and that's really true um Uh, This past weekend, I was canvassing for um, School District 27J, um, Brighton, um, around their mill levy. And so I was knocking doors and talking to voters. And, you know, parents, I think, are pretty clued in, um, at least in that community they were. But those who no longer have kids in school or don't have kids at all are pretty oblivious to how we fund our public schools. And, And in some respect even question why it should be a concern of theirs. Yeah. And, you know, going back, Tenley, to what you said, education is the foundation, the cornerstone of our democracy. If we don't invest in our kids now... These are the people who are going to be taking care of us when you and I are retired. Right, right, right? yeah. I want to make sure that they got everything they need to be the best at their job they possibly can be. Yeah,
0: they need to know what they're doing. Well, there's issues, too, around, you know, uh, students leaving the state to go elsewhere for jobs and then other people coming here with different skill sets because... Uh, perhaps they had, you know, better state education in other states. I mean, almost any other state, right? Colorado is pretty low on the totem pole mm-hmm. when it comes yeah.
1: to. We're below Mississippi in school funding. In school funding, yeah. and we import a lot of expertise into, um, uh, you know, the business community here, and you know, a lot of employers import their their brain power,
0: uh-huh. if you will. Yeah. And then that can lead to all other sorts of things, uh, housing shortages, and around and around we go. (laughs) Yeah, which
1: which also, you know, when you get to the housing shortages, it also... That disadvantages communities of color, yeah. right? So then we, we further concentrate or dilute communities um, based on what's happening in the market with housing prices. You know, one of the things you mentioned was, or just asked about was the pot money. Mm-hmm. The other misconception out there is that, well, doesn't lottery money pay for schools? No. Lottery money pays for our great outdoors, our beautiful parks and open spaces and trail maintenance and all of that, but not a dollar of lottery money goes to support what's happening in our neighborhood public schools.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: Good to know.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, so from your, from your lens, who do you think needs to be at the table like a, you know, business owners. I mean, if, if we're talking about big corporations that are bringing employees into the city of Denver who care about education, where where does this conversation need to happen? Because I feel like it's it's here, but who's like the action is not. Nothing's happening.
1: Yeah, still low, and we yeah. haven't moved. Right. So I think one of the one of the first things that needs to happen is at the grassroots. I think parents. Um, and neighbors need to come together and really talk about what their expectations are for the future of public education. Um, I think when when those folks can come together and create a common vision, then it's time to bring business to the table um, and hear what their needs are, and it's time to bring the politicians to the table and, you know, the faith community (laughs) to the table. Um, But I think Starting with a group that's already invested in our schools, and that would be parents and educators. And um, students. And students, absolutely. And bringing bringing them in um, to create sort of that vision and then bringing in, in concentric circles, the other folks to help shape and refine what that vision is. I think when we can do that as a state... It I think voters will be um, more apt then to recognize the need, or the, be more apt to recognize the needs of our schools and our students, mm-hmm. and vote to pay for it, and vote to pay for it, yeah, yeah, because these are dollars that are coming out of somebody's pockets, yeah, and you know the thing about Colorado, which you know is something to celebrate. Colorado has some of the lowest property taxes in the nation,
0: uh huh.
1: But what people don't realize is. By, by paying lower property taxes, you're starving the other essential services those property taxes help pay for. Right. And education is one of those things that's being starved out. Okay.
0: Okay. So speaking of concentric circles, you know, it's kind of the start local yeah. thing. Let's talk about school boards. Yes. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that uh, every school board in the state has vacancies. Uh, this year, 2017, so the, you know, ballots are going out to people's houses within a couple weeks, yeah, I believe. Yeah, the week of
1: October 16th, those ballots should um, start hitting voters' mailboxes. Okay,
0: so it, in a week or
1: so, probably
0: by the time people are listening to this podcast, you can really start looking for those ballots in the mailbox, mm-hmm. and. Um, i think every voter will have the opportunity to vote on a school board all, candidate almost all almost Some all.
1: some um, school districts only had one candidate run for an open seat and okay so, so those that's di- those school districts have canceled their elections but but nearly all of them have that actually votes. answers another one of my questions because i was wondering
0: is mm-hmm. there ever just a total lack of interest oh yes, because absolutely. it's not a paid position it's
1: not a paid position um you know there isn't a lot of Uh, glory that comes along with it it's hard uh, work it's very important work but yeah it's not a paid position and so you're really relying on volunteers to do that work and you know there's often um, uh, it's often difficult to recruit people to run for school board Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. And then
0: I imagine there's some places where you have a very crowded field of people. Mm-hmm. When and or why does that happen? Why, why, why is there sometimes a big wave of people who want to be school board members?
1: Well, I think the you see the big waves uh, actually here in the metro area the most. Okay, and and I think you see um, different political ideologies playing out when you uh-huh. see those huge waves. So you may have, um, uh, you know, some real conservative folks who don't like the direction that public education has gone. You have some really progressive folks who want to make sure that you know. Um, Educations dealing with the issues that you know are most impacting our communities—racial justice, social justice, etc.—and then you may have the, this reform group in the middle who wants to see something entirely different than. Um, and and be very directive about what the future should look like. Okay. Um, so yeah, in the metro area, if you look at Aurora, um, Denver certainly is a good example, um, and some other metro area communities. There's lots of candidates for a handful of positions. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's say somebody, and this is, this I'm just going to put this as a statewide question. Somebody, somebody in Cortez, as you mentioned opens up their ballot, sees a couple candidates, they, they won't have a Democrat or they won't have a party uh, next to their right, name, Democrat or Republican, right. because that's not how school boards work. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what should be in their minds as they set out to decide who they're going to vote for?
1: Well, there's generally organizations in most of our communities that have taken the time to interview the candidates, um, make recommendations. Maybe the newspaper has interviewed the the candidates and um, you know sort of published side by side comparisons about where they stand on the issues. Uh, that's a great way to at least start off. Um, so look, deciding, for look, look for endorsements. Look for endorsements. Interviews mm-hmm. and, and who's supporting them? Yeah. Okay. Um, are great ways to start and then you know beyond that these are people who are coming from your own community call them up yeah ask them ask them the things that are important to you and certainly you know talk to talk to teachers because you know these folks that we're electing are our bosses uh-huh. And, you know, so we're invested in certainly the outcomes of the elections because these are the folks who are going to set the strategic direction of the school district that we teach in and um, are going to most impact our students As well. And so we look at the candidates very closely, um, particularly how they stand on a number of issues. Do they support a free um, public education for all students, or do they support vouchers, which would pull dollars out of our public schools and send those tax dollars to a private school, right? Mm -hmm. So we ask a lot of those uh, questions that, you know, um, help us determine their level of support for public schools. Okay. So you said that for starters, what would
0: be sort of the next thing? If somebody looks at all that and says, oh, well, this person's endorsed by this group that I like, and this other person's endorsed by this other group that I like.
1: Then I think you have to drill down into the issues. Where do they stand on vouchers? Um, Where do they stand on advocating for school funding? Where do they stand on... um, Other things that are important to you. Whatever the issue is impacting education, asking those questions. And you should be able mm -hmm. to expect to get an answer from a candidate for school boards. So, maybe try contacting a
0: candidate directly. Can mm-hmm. they also contact CEA for,
1: for information? Uh, actually, on that? no, because no. we are a labor union and so our um, communication is to our members. Okay. Um, but certainly, as I said, they can ask a teacher. Okay. And, and the teacher's pretty clued in to who the candidates are and, and um, Uh, who has their support. But yes, under um, campaign and election law, we can communicate to our members. But if we were to communicate more broadly to the public, then we're making a campaign expenditure um, that we have to report and Blah, 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 blah. So you just don't do that. (laughs) No, no, we do not make a habit. There's some local associations that may do that, but Mm -hmm. it's very rare. Our focus here at the CEA is to um, really communicate with our 36,000 members. Yeah, yeah, got it.
2: Uh, So when you were um, talking about canvassing, what were you, so were you just trying to cue people in on what's going to be coming up or are you yeah
1: yeah Yeah. so you know um, I was canvassing specifically for the mill levy so uh, you know I knock on the door and say hi you know my name's Carrie I'm a volunteer supporter for school district 27j do you did you know that um, our school district is the fastest growing in the metro area and do you know it's the least funded Um, And then we'd talk about some of the issues, and I'd make sure that they understood that, you know, ballots were coming out on October 16th, and um, I'd ask uh, um, for their support. Can we count on you to vote yes and support, you know, 27J students?
2: And how was uh, how did that go over? Did you feel well, like people were pretty receptive? Yeah, to, for
1: the most, when yeah. they answer the door, they're yeah, receptive. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. get you get a lot of barking behind the door. A yeah. lot of people saying hey, there's somebody out there, and they never answer. But for those who do answer the door, yeah, fairly receptive. There's a few folks who are, like I mentioned earlier, yeah. who just feel like I don't have kids in school, so this isn't my issue, or. I don't ever want to pay more in taxes, so I'll vote no on every tax thing. But for the vast majority, I'd say, you know, 98% are high-quality conversations and people who appreciate hearing from an educator Mm -hmm. about why this election is important.
2: Yeah. Yeah, That's great. So I have one question about the school board. I'm jumping all over the place. Are um, they—is the school board in charge of the curriculum? school districts?
1: No, they don't, they don't, um, choose curriculum. Okay. Um, school boards manage at the policy level. Um, so they might set strategic goals for the school district, um, and pass policy, you know, like, um, updating non-discrimination policy, uh, whole variety of policies. Um, But no, they are not the ones choosing um, curriculum in the classroom, and and truthfully, that should be the job of the classroom teacher, Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: if you're a student in my classroom, I'm the one who has that relationship with you, and I'm the one who sees um, where you might need something special, and through the curriculum that I provide, I can meet those needs that you have five members on a school board or seven members on a school board, depending on the district, they don't know you, the student in my classroom.
0: Yeah, well, that's Do they approve textbooks, though? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Textbooks generally um, start in a teacher-citizen committee and then go through a district-defined process. And again, this goes back to policy. The school board would adopt the policy for textbook approval in that school district. Okay. Okay. A board might um, decide on whether or not to ban a book from middle school library shelves, right? Okay. Um, School boards might make those types of decisions. What
0: about for standardized tests? Do they make decisions about standardized testing?
1: Yes, in in a sense. So um, they would be presented with contracts, Uh and the board would then be voting on whether or not to approve the testing contracts. Okay. Um, and you know, we have our state assessment, right? Um, but there's a lot of other testing that happens at the school district level. Oh, um, a whole lot more. And I think that's why you've seen in recent years a big opt-out movement, mm-hmm. um, because more and more parents are recognizing that their kids are over testing mm-hmm. or being over tested, and a result of that is lost instructional time. Right. And if the tests, you know, aren't seen as useful by the classroom teacher, if it's not giving me good data about how to um, better help you, the student, then it's sort of not a great use of the kids' time, the educators' time, and particularly with online assessments. You know, if you don't have one-to-one computing in a school and you got a computer lab, that computer lab is out of service for the two weeks that you're testing. Right. No yeah. kid can get in there to do their homework. I mean if you're a kid who doesn't have internet at home or a computer at home, that computer lab is how you get your work done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now it's off limits. That's a problem.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have that at our school. Yeah. Yeah. For the whole second half of the year. That's no
1: computer lab. <laughs> <laughs> no computer lab.
0: <laughs> well, great. So um, uh, why don't you let our listeners know about your website? Any other things that you want them to know about what's coming up for Election Day? Facebook, any of that type of stuff?
1: Sure. Well, one thing I didn't get to mention earlier when I talked about the Pike Peak Center for Professional Learning. Oh yeah, is CEA Copilot, which is um, a tool that we've developed um, statewide. It's an online professional learning platform. So, you know, we really are the voice of professional educators in Colorado. Um, And we have developed an online professional learning tool to help teachers um, get the professional learning that they need when they need it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're really proud about that. So um, you certainly uh, can find out more information about that by visiting our Facebook page. So search Facebook on Colorado Education Association. Um, And then also our website is coloradoea.org. And as far as the elections are concerned, uh, the second Tuesday in November, we have mail ballots in this state, so please watch your mailbox. Um, They should be coming out the week of October 16th, and mail them in or drop them off, but please fill out your ballot, and please vote down ballot, because school board and mills and bonds aren't going to be at the top of that ballot. so don't forget about these really important elections that are further down the ballot.
0: Yeah, try to try to vote on on everything that you that you can. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And um, I hear I know a lot of teachers. I have teachers in my family as well, and they frequently talk about Chalkbeat, uh-huh. um, the publication. Is that Are you affiliated with that? Yeah,
1: we um, uh, help fund and okay. support. Yeah, okay. As do a variety of education organizations. And, you know, I think that makes sense because if you look at the Denver Post—they've really cut down their education reporting staff. There's not a lot of mainstream media that mm-hmm. spends a lot of time really covering the day-to-day of what's happening in our in our um, education system across the state. And I think Chalkbeat does a, a decent job of covering that, and not just in the metro area, but the outlying areas yeah, as well. Yeah, that's where
0: I first heard about the the teacher shortage was mm-hmm. from there. So that's another resource that that people can check out for more information
1: absolutely and they've also published a number of interviews of school board candidates candidates. particularly in the um, uh, metro area and so i highly recommend um, your listeners check that out as one resource as well
0: great well and of course there's civicsyrup.com we're also on twitter and facebook so check us out and um tell your friends about this podcast, rate it if you can, um, especially if you like it, but even if you don't. (laughs) Um, Carrie, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Well, thank you so much. This is my first time being interviewed on a podcast, so I really enjoy it. You're our
0: season two opener, so we are so glad to have you.
1: All right. Well, thank you.
0: Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you guys.